Welcome to the Lightly Salted Podcast. These are the readings and sermons of St. John's Lutheran Church of Park Rapids, Minnesota. They are offered so that the Word of God would shape and strengthen you to be what He calls you to be, salt and light. You can find us at stjohnspr.org. Now, on to the Word. The Old Testament reading this evening comes to us from Jonah, chapter 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth, from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with the sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh, By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger, so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. O Lord, have mercy on us. The epistle reading is from Philippians chapter 2. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, Any affection and sympathy complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of his servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him, And bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. O Lord, have mercy on us. I invite the congregation to please rise for the reading of the Holy Gospel. The Holy Gospel according to Matthew, the 12th chapter. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, 
We wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. In many and various ways, God spoke to his people of old by the prophets. For the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Sometimes we wear our emotions on our sleeves. Whether we intend to or not, the things that we feel, like surprise, or shame, joy, love, sorrow, they have a way of shining through in our bodies and in our countenance. Now, I don't know how many of you have ever done it, but, you know, you step off the karaoke stage after having nailed Grandma Got Run Over by the Reindeer, and you're going to be beaming with pride, right? Or when your sister opens a present that you re-gifted from your mother-in-law because you didn't think your mother-in-law would be there, and she was, the embarrassment is probably going to shine through just as brightly as the lights on the Christmas tree. Sometimes it's a literal saying. For example, when police officers or the military wear a black armband or cover their badges with a black stripe as they publicly mourn the loss of one of their own. Yeah, sometimes we wear our emotions on our sleeve. And that should be the case with repentance. Repentance is the desire to turn from sin and fall into God's mercy. When God's law, when His judgment, or, or even simply the perfect perfection of His glory confronts us, repentance is awakened in us. And this repentance is the rhythm of Christian life. Time and time again, we're brought a perfect standard, the beauty and weight of which brings us to our knees. It humbles us to the ground, fills us with regrets, makes us yearn for grace. A grace which our Father gladly gives in Jesus Christ. Time and time again, He revives us. He brings us back to life as we look at, look on, lean on, and as we rest in his Son. Advent itself, along 
with Lent, which is its very close cousin, is intended to be a penitential season. A season in which we examine ourselves more closely. You know, there used to be more marks of this than there are now. When I was growing up, and I think the tradition was the same here, our pyramids in Advent were the purple pyramids of Lent. And even, I hadn't thought about this before, but even our Advent candles remain purple and pink. Signs of repentance. Now that's not how Advent goes anymore in our society. Now this season of entire season of December is filled with parties and activities and hunts for the perfect gift and all those types of things. But Advent does still serve as a good time for us in the church when we ought to squint our eyes and look even more intently on our weaknesses, on our mortality, and on our failures as revealed by God's law. As we do so, it creates an extra sense of expectancy and even maybe urgency for Christmas morning when we celebrate when we celebrate the grace of God coming to us in flesh and blood, when we celebrate the grace of God coming to us with the sound of a newborn's cry, we find a powerful example of repentance in really a rather strange place and with a very unexpected people, the Ninevites. Yes, Nineveh, that pagan metropolis, that uh, was famously begrudged by this guy that got swallowed by a giant fish and spit up, sent again a second time. He couldn't avoid his assignment, so he showed up, and he preached a bare minimum, at least from what we have in the record of Jonah. Forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. But despite the brevity, the king of Nineveh and all of the people were cut to the core. They believed the words of this reluctant prophet. And in doing so, they believed the word of God. The king and his subjects that wanted no part of God's judgment. And the book of Jonah describes it like this. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne and removed his robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles. Let neither man nor beast nor herd nor flock taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and repent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. To fast, to forego food, was to admit your mortality with every hunger pain that you felt. To wear sackcloth was to wrap yourself in humility reflective of your sinful state. To be covered with dust and ash was to publicly embrace the shame of your sin. 
and the Ninevites. They did this from the throne room to the stable, from the king to the cow. Yes, even the cows were made to express contrition. This was some grief over sin. This was some real and robust and unmistakable repentance. Faced with the judgment of God, the Ninevites didn't just feel bad. They wore their grief. And more than just an emotion, it was an expression of their grief. Grief. It was a loathing of sin so deep, a desire to be new so palpable, a hunger for mercy so intense that it couldn't help but be seen on the outside, shining through the body and communicating in their countenance. And I just have to ask, when was the last time you Repented like that. Do you even know where your sackcloth and ashes are? You see, because even though we are just as bad and broken as the worst of the Ninevites, I'm guessing it's probably been a while since you've even shed a tear over your sin, let alone sit in sackcloth and ash. when we take an honest look at our spirituality, we recognize that we even have to repent of our repentance. Because even in this, we fall far short. But take heart. Because God knows this too. And God's prepared a gift in response. You know, we most often talk about Jesus Christ as our salvation and, and sort of the movie clip that runs through our mind as a jump cut to the cross. But a significant part of Christ's saving work was not only in dying for you, but it was in living for you. And it's in His living, particularly in the realities of His incarnation, that Jesus embodies the perfect humility that you and I, even when faced with our sins, so often fail to embrace. You know, it's one thing for God to take on flesh, to be made man, but for Him to do it in the utter weakness of a fertilized cell in a womb, that's incredible in the most literal sense of the word. For God to take on flesh as a newborn to an unwed girl on a cold night in less than a renowned situation, he makes himself utterly vulnerable, totally susceptible to the brutalities of the world, capable even of dying. And the prophet Isaiah says that he would grow to become a man of sorrows, easy to overlook. You know, Jesus probably is that kind of guy that you'd first pity rather than praise. And this is the king of the universe. And what's he doing? He's embracing rejection from his own people, despised by his generation, 
treated as a sinner, even though he himself knows not one speck of sin in his incarnation, in his living, and in his dying, Jesus wears the humility, the weakness, the shame, the rejection, the mortality that rightly and only belongs to us. And he does it so that we could receive membership in the Father's family that rightly only belongs to him. He went from the throne room to the stable. He was the king born among the cows. He didn't just feel bad for our awful state, but he joined us in it. He wore it. This perfect humility is a substitution for us. This substitutionary humility of Christ covers over our limp and lame shows of sorrow. It replaces our incomplete expressions of regret. We're free not to worry if we've repented enough because we are free to believe and have faith in Christ who has been perfectly humble, perfectly weak, perfectly frail, perfectly mortal on our behalf. And wouldn't you know it, <clears throat> sort of as we gaze intently on this coming of Christ with all of his humility, that it's the message that God uses to move us back to this rhythm mentioned earlier. Seeing Christ wrapped in weakness, God's aim is to lead you to publicly confess your own. When does it happen? Well, at the very least, it happens here in church as God gathers us into his house to confess verbally, even boldly, we might say, and honestly, as part of our worship and service, that we are what God says we are, wretched sinners, really desperate frauds when it comes to sainthood. And then he causes us to respond with joy, a real and palpable joy, when you hear him say, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Every piece and every part of the sins you've confessed, they're freely and forever forgiven you. God's law, his judgment, even his perfect glory convicts us. It leads us to confess where we have fallen short and failed. And as he brings us to life with the gospel, we celebrate that truth also. Perhaps, perhaps we might celebrate by singing just a little bit louder the sermon response song. It's good not just to feel what God works in us, but to actually express it. And then, having been covered in the forgiveness, in the love, in the grace, in the mercy of Jesus, we want to wear that on our sleeve as well. We want to wear it on our sleeve that everybody knows about it because we willingly, joyfully, happily, gratefully share these wonderful gifts that have been given to us that we love, that we are graceful with. We have mercy and we are forgiving even 
even to those who, like us, don't deserve it. That's something for us to really wear on our sleeves. Amen. May the peace of God, earned and gained for us in the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, fill you with your Savior, that he shines through you to others. Amen. Thanks for listening to Lightly Salted. We'd love to hear from you. You can contact us at stjohnspr.org or look for us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Our thanks to Eric Medeish at soundimage.org for Morning Jew. God's blessings.